James earns millions from internet marketing. Tim's got millions of questions. Welcome to Freedom Ocean. Now, jump on in. Listeners, welcome back to the wonderfully giving waters of the Freedom Ocean, Australia's most giving, there you go, giving, loved internet marketing podcast. And at the other end of the line is one of Australia's favourite internet marketers, James Shramko. How are you, mate? I'm really good, Timbo. Really good? Really good. Where's that rank on a scale of 1 to 10, really? Like 10 or? Yeah, it is like it's a 10. Good. Beautiful. Well, it's a good day for it. It's a good day for internet marketing. It's a great day for internet marketing, <laughs> and it, especially when it started out with no internet. Yeah, that's it's hard to do internet marketing without an internet connection. What happened? I woke up, had breakfast, went to my computer, and the screen said no internet. Right. I checked my other screen, no internet. Checked with a kid, no internet. No internet. So I got my book. Went down to the games room, mm-hmm. pulled up a chair and a footstool and proceeded to read my book. Nice. Nice. And just in the hope that the internet would come back without you actually having to, to do anything. Yeah. And, and, and it did. I, I was pretty sure that it wasn't my problem because I have two separate internet connections and they were both dead. Yep. So in, in a normal scenario, you might reset the modem, but if my modem is not working for one provider and then the modem's not working for the other but my computer can see the modem, then I know it's a telephone line. Mm-hmm. And then my wife told me there was a truck out in the street with cables. Ah, always a giveaway that the internet's down yeah, locally. Giveaway. So I figured out I'd just ride this one out. Now, if I really wanted to, I could have just turned on my iPad or my iPhone and uh, used the data thing over the telephone network and then tethered my phone to my computer. So I could yeah, have got could've. on the internet. But you know what? I thought it was a sign that I should finish this book. Well, you're going to tell me what the book is? The book's called The Bathrobe Millionaire and I was up to a pretty exciting part and the book actually re-inspired me to approach one of my favourite business models which is the affiliate marketing model mm-hmm. because I do affiliate marketing and I'm good at affiliate marketing and I've got lots of sites in different markets and just just reading his story again sort of excited me about my biggest affiliate marketing wins. I've had some really big affiliate marketing wins and it made me want to repeat that feeling. So is the bathrobe millionaire an affiliate marketer? He was, yes. He was. He's now just a bathrobe wearer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's got an interesting story. Um it starts out actually being a pretty good sort of business lesson book about being a bit contrarian and not following all the hype and the, the silly um, marketing wisdom of the so-called gurus and also academics in, you know, like marketing professors and stuff mm-hmm. who have got great theory. Hey, be careful what you say. I know. It's funny just how funny academic. you should. Oh, okay. And I, th- I do, th- I think it's hilarious. You know. So uh, just so. I, you- I do. I think it's hilarious because if. If he's that shit hot at marketing, wouldn't he be sitting at home in his pajamas making millions? Geez, you're harsh. Just so no, listen, just, but it's just fair, so, isn't it? Just so listeners know what we are talking about. Uh, I have another podcast called Small Business Big Marketing for those that don't know, and I know there's many listeners who have come across into the ocean from there. The episode that we sent out today, we went live with today. 
I interviewed uh, the head of marketing at the very prestigious Monash University, and uh, he talks about brand building. And um, so uh, I, I thought, it, I, for, the, for a minute there, James, I thought it was a coincidence that you were mentioning marketing no, professors. I saw the email. I haven't listened to it, and I'm sure he's an awesome guy. He actually is. And in answer to your question, why isn't he at home in his bathrobe doing it himself? Is that was that kind of what you were putting out there in terms of why would you teach no, it instead saying, of you know, do it? People who are good at it do it, and people who aren't teach it. I'm not sure it's that simple. I I, 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 know. I know it's not that simple. I teach stuff too, and I'm good at it as well. So, some people but, just love teaching. Yeah, that's fair. It's fair, but in, anyway, just back to, to the topic of the book. <laughs> I was looking for a fight then. No, I know. <laughs> I'm actually sort of half stirring you up because I've I know got you the ability are. Too. I know. Uh, but with the guy in the book, he's very contrarian, and I really like that about him. Right. Okay. So he takes he takes it on. He takes people he on. Challenge on. challenges he, he the norm. You know, he, he's he's come from much the same school that I've come from, where you get out there, you do the business, you learn the lessons, you implement. Um, he had some epic failures. I mean, he burnt ten million dollars in one year of wow. investors' funds. That's a lot of bathrobes. It's a lot, but then he went around and he made nine million dollars from affiliate marketing. So he's still a million bucks in debt. Oh, he's done fine out of it. But the, <laughs> the thing that I got inspired about is that I could really relate to when he ran paid traffic and made a huge profit because I've done that business model and I still do that business model, where you spend a dollar and you make two or three or five dollars for it. That is exciting, and you just want to do more of it. It's kind of addictive. And it, it made me inspired to go and pursue my lead generation sites a little bit harder. Well, we so have talked what, about affiliate marketing. That was the marketing. good thing. That's, so that's my internet marketing without the internet. And the other thing I did today is completely random. Hey, before you go on, just hang on, hang on. Let's just wrap that one up. If he's so contrarian, the bathrobe million is a bit of, bit of an obvious title, isn't it? Oh, it's a shitty name. I wouldn't just choose that name at all. I mean, I get what he's saying. I'm but not hero worship him. I, I think he's got his foibles. Um, great it's a word, cheesy foibles. Name. Great word. Yeah, it is a cheesy name. Uh, I I did not buy the book because of the name. I bought it because somebody recommended it. And how, how do you whoever um, recommended you, you, it? I can't remember who recommended it, but whoever recommended it. Uh, was someone who I trust. So I got the book purely based on that. And this is one of those books where if you can relate to the guy and if you can read between the lines, there's a lot of hidden messages in that book, not the ones that he's trying to point out. It's the ones he's not mentioning or highlighting that are the actual lessons. Mm. How do you um, go about uh, – you've got a lot of books on that bookshelf of yours that I've seen just outside the, the spaceship there. How do you go about choosing – books you recommend is a word of mouth or do you buy one on amazon and then see what other people have read or how do you chase it down I never i never look at amazon reviews it's usually word of mouth and then i take it from there if, if someone recommends one book then i'll mine out that author or related books and usually in a book they'll refer to other people i'll give you a classic example the beginning of this year everyone was talking about the four-hour body you know by tim timothy ferris they're all talking about it. And in that book, at the end of one of the chapters, was a reference to a speech that Charlie Munger gave about his thinking models. From that, from that reference and that speech, I read that and I really connected with Charlie Munger. He's Warren Buffett's right-hand man. So from there, I went and got everything by Charlie Munger. I got his almanac. I got 
um, Warren Buffett books. I just mined out that whole topic and that author. So I went from one book to another. So if, if you like something in one book, generally they give you clues mm. as to where they got inspiration from and I follow the trail. I like to go direct to the source. I mean, I've because I've got so many books and I've read most of them, when people espouse their wisdom, I can almost always tell exactly where it came from, even if they don't know the true source. Audio books versus um, the hard the hard copy, what do you like better? I like a real book. So you can hold it and circle it or you're just an old you school kind of guy? running on a treadmill with oxygen shoved up my nostril, speed reading at <laughs> 10 times speed. That is the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. I'm not sure that 10 times would be hard. Um I get through a bit when I do double speed. That's what these do. Everyone's, you know, everyone's talking about this, how fantastic it is, speed reading and, and uh, you know, chopping the spine off the book and scanning it and turning it into an iPad and all that. I, I like to grab a real book, sit in a chair and just read it. What's so wrong with that? It's very peaceful. Those same guys who are on the treadmill with the oxygen shoved up their nose, speed reading then probably go and get a massage or something. Like, why not just read and relax? I, I reckon, James, the speed reading, there is a little bit to be said about listening to audio books two times. There's a bit of a wank factor attached to it, but um, some of those American authors do have a bit of a drawl about them, so it just speeds it up to normal speed. And you get through a bit too. I don't mind going, you know, if, you, if that's what you do, that's fine. I, I'm a slow reader and I remember most things. I just read it slowly. I actually even speak it out loud, all the things you're not supposed to do, yep. and I retain it. And I'd, I'd rather read a new book than read the same one five times. All right, James. Well, I reckon it's time now, mate, to talk about today's topic, which is list building. What do you reckon? Let's do it. All right, mate. Well, let's be clear here because there's many kind of aspects to list building, um, just so we're really focused and listeners know what aspect we're talking about. What I'm imagining is that um, we've got, we're hypothetically creating a website that's selling some kind of information product on it, okay? Uh, and what you're hoping for is for people to come along and if they don't buy there and then, then to at least leave their name and email address so you can build a list of prospects. So I guess first, firstly, is that, is that a good idea? Yes, you should definitely collect people's details um, but put it in priority. You definitely want to collect buyer's details first and foremost in your database or as people call it, your list, because that is the true value of your asset. That's, that's really the most valuable thing that you've got. And then uh, second, secondly, you work on prospects so that you can start moving them towards being a buyer. Okay, so we can be really clear here. We've got a list of, there's two different lists, lists of prospects and lists of, of, of buyers or customers who have bought yeah. from you. So what we're talking about here is called segmentation and this is very rarely understood. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's important to think of your uh, customers in segments so that you can have the right conversation with them at the right time. And I'm not going to go detailed on that. I'm just going to say, be aware that it's not just one dump list. You have a buyer's list and a prospect list. Yep. Yeah. And segmentation, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a pretty detailed topic. And one that is, you know, big, big marketers, big non-internet type marketers spend a lot of time uh, doing. Um, so we won't go into detail on that for this episode, but let's just talk about this concept of a list of prospects because not everyone who comes to your site is going to buy. 
but gee, wouldn't it be nice if you could increase the odds by making sure that they left um, they left some contact details? Yeah, I want to be a bit controversial on this though because that's unlike you. Well, you know, I think <laughs> I love challenging all the bullshit that's been preached by people. You know, you hear this take seven contacts and all that sort of stuff. You heard that? No, one? I haven't. What is it? Well, you know, it takes seven times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, yeah. since only 1% of people that come to your site, then you need to grab their details with great force and, you know, thrust yourself in front of them and make sure you get it. Well, the reality is I've been able to check on my analytics and look up the – there's a new report that actually shows you how many different ways people came to your site and how many – contacts you've actually had with them and I can tell you the stats are quite different from mm-hmm. my sites so don't feel as though you have to bludgeon people over the head to get their details the most important thing is to create great value and be a site that they actually want to come back to that's more important than making sure that you capture their details mm-hmm. it's leaving a very good impression um, is, is it fair to say though that sometimes when you're creating um, a, a site almost like a mini site where it's it's there purely in order for people to see what it is you've got to sell and then for them to buy from it versus a, a, a fully blown website that may have blogs and videos yep. and constant... Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. There's sales sites. Yeah. We have two main types of sites in our business. We have sales sites, which yep. is where in the old language people might have come to once and they either buy or they don't buy and then there is you know, your blogs and your forums and people people come back over and over and over again. So the with a sales site, is, though, yeah, go on. With my sales sites, I now know that people are coming back and they're coming from multiple touch points and quite often they're coming from two or three or four separate places back to the site. More than half the traffic to my sales sites is coming back and that's because I've started to create a good um, mixed source of traffic. So this is the other aspect to list building that is very rarely understood or discussed. What you do on your page is definitely going to change depending on where people come from. The traffic source is important. Yeah, okay. Can you just hold that thought? Because I'm interested in the fact that, as you say, there's sales sites and then there's fully blown websites. What, what, what reason would people have to keep coming back to a sales site except to kind of recheck the information before they buy. Well, exactly that. When people go online, uh, they research and they, they're in different phases. They may be in research mode. Yeah. They might be – so that firstly, they might not even know what possible solutions there are. So they're in like that very early stage of research. So they want to go and look and actually start discovering what's in the market. Then they move th- through more to the comparison um, eliminating options type phase and then they sort of move through to the ready to buy I've got my credit card in hand phase so this is where the traffic source is going to be important if you're trying to bring in only buyer traffic i.e. people who have their credit card in their hand then you have that person right at the moment where they're going to buy ideally you're going to focus on the conversion of the sale but if you're bringing in traffic for that research mode buyer uh, where they're not 100% sure what the options are, you might be doing a little bit more work on providing education and comparisons and you might want to capture details of that researcher so that you can move them closer to a buying decision over time. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So uh, tell me then, just back to where you were, different traffic sources bring different bring people in different mindsets. So give us a couple of examples of a traffic source that brings people who are red hot versus someone who's just in research mode. Okay, red hot is an email to your existing customer list who already knows you, they've already bought from you because they're on a buyer's list of some description. That traffic is high conversion traffic. You don't need to pester them for their email address because you already have it. So that you're just going to annoy them if you start sticking pop-ups at them and jamming uh, opt-ins in their face. So if I were to send you an email, Tim, and say, hi, Tim, it's James here, and you bought Traffic Grab, I just want to let you know that I've now released uh, Spaghetti Bowl, which is a done-for-you service, and what we do is our team will do the Traffic Grab process for you. Now, you already bought the product. You know what it does. You don't need a whole lot of education. You're either a buyer or not. If you click on that link to an order page, there's really less input that, that's going to be required from me to convince you that you need it because you already know you have a need and you know and trust me and you've already bought something from me and you don't hate me. Yep. So that's a different conversation than someone arriving point blank to a page called spaghettibowl.com. Okay. Go, what is this? They, so, they need a different process. All right. So maybe um, someone coming in research mindsets possibly come off uh, a Google search where they've just done a bit of a, they're doing a bit of research, keyed in some key phrases and seen what comes up. Ah, well, that's it. It depends on the key phrase. If, if I'm yep. using the key phrase spaghetti bowl uh, traffic service, and someone if someone types that into Google, then they know about they the know about it. And yep. they're just they're looking to find it, and I would get very high click throughs on that type of key phrase versus uh, SEO service. Well, they're like, well, I'd never heard of James Shramko or Spaghetti Bowl. What is this? They're going to need a different process. Yep, gotcha. Okay, now let's go back because uh, we digressed and I want to get back into list building because it's all very well to uh, to be, you know, have things to sell, but you're still, you know, this concept of a list is fascinating me. So let's, can we just go back to this, con the idea of a prospect list and actually starting to build one? Um, how? I mean, for me, it's the it's the registration form in the sidebar, it's the light box that pops up it's the squeeze page. Are these kind of primary ways of getting people to sign up for something of value so that you can go back to them at some point in time? Exactly right. It's offering them something in exchange for their email address. Yep. And, you know, then you can choose how many fields you want to ask for. So that's going to be different depending on what you're doing as well. Is it true that the more things you ask for, the less likely they are to sign up in your experience? Uh, well, my experience shows that just asking for an email address does increase conversions. However, if people do put in their name or more details or they're more, more fields, they're more serious. Higher conversions from those people. Yep. Yep. So this is a little bit like the double opt in versus single opt in argument. I only use double opt in on my websites because I'm not really interested in collecting a database of people who can't confirm that they want to receive my emails. Yep. Okay, so for those, uh, there is. Um, we used to do the. Remember, we used to do the phone book. We we hit each over each other over the head with the phone book if we kind of um, mentioned some kind of geeky term like double opt in, James. So there's a phone book coming towards you right now. <laughs> and um, just explain double opt in for those who don't know. Okay, well, in simple terms, with the 
spam laws that are around, you want to be able to prove that someone asked to be sent emails. Therefore, when they opt in, like they enter their details for you to send them email, your provider will first send them an email saying, hey, uh, can you please confirm that you wish to receive emails from us? If you do, click on this link. If you don't, just ignore it. Now, if they don't confirm, they do not get added to your confirmed list and you don't send them anything else. If they do confirm, then now you have proof that they said, yes, I do want to receive these emails and that can minimise your exposure to a claim of being a spammer. And there are quite serious uh, laws against Consequences, it. yeah, and there are. It's not, it's not legislate. It's not like mandatory that you have double opt-in, is it? It's not, but it's certainly good buffer it's, it's in smart. the case of a dispute. So there's, there's um, autoresponder softwares, which is what people are going to, where people's information is going to go when they do give you their, their details. Well, you need a phone book for that one, Tim. What the hell is an autoresponder? <laughs> oh, a bit of software that allows you to send out emails or automatic emails over a period of time that you determine, that you predetermine. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you know what? So like Aweber, for example, is an example of some autoresponder software that uh, does demand double opt-in, whereas I think something like a MailChimp... It doesn't actually, Timbo. It is a, it's, a, it's a choice. Is it? Yes. Well, I must have always... It must be pre-selected because I've always gone... Once you tick it once, it sets the account, I believe. Yeah. I do like double opt-in. I, the, 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 the lists that I'm building have double opt-in on them and I think Freedom Ocean's got double opt-in, yeah? Yeah. Freedom Ocean is a great example for us to talk about because yep. it is a free database. It's it's uh, We would call it prospects. I mean, we don't actually have customers for our podcast because no one pays for it. It's free. So it's more of a prospect list. However, we know that it's uh, only made up of people who want to be on it because when they join, they are sent a confirm request. And the only people who we send emails to have confirmed. That's why we get such a high open rate and a very high click-through rate when we send out emails. And the other thing we've done is we've given them a strong, compelling reason why they want to be on that list versus not being on the list because we provide additional benefits for being on that database. So it's a fair exchange. Yeah, okay. And, and, and really, you just hit the nail on the head with you know giving them something of value. Uh, I, I've, I think I might have mentioned before, and if I haven't, there's a book by Seth Godin called Permission Marketing, which is well worth a read because it's kind of it's this whole principle of give to get, which we're talking about now. Give me some email, and he wrote this. I reckon it's about ten years old. I mean, this is not it's not a principle that's um, purely for internet marketing. It's just a good principle. Give something, you get something, and um, uh, that's it's worth a, well worth a read. The old Seth Godin. You like Seth too, don't you? I do. I, you do? I, most of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you challenge him on certain points. Anyway, um, yeah, what, what, what I was going to say was that he also you know, talks about if you give something of value, then yeah, clearly people, you, more people are going to sign up. And I know what you're going to say, which is find out what is of value to them and, and create, create it once you know what's going to really kind of flick their switch. Well, you can try different things uh, and one will work better than others. So it can be all sorts of things. People might be wondering, what can you possibly offer? Well, for Freedom Ocean, we offer the transcriptions of each episode, so the written PDF version, and people 
really like them. They go and download them. We can see the stats. We know that people log in and grab the transcription because not everyone likes to listen or can listen or they like to read along as, as the sound comes through. And the other thing that we send that particular list or database, whatever you want to call it, is we do send extra things that are not published publicly. Therefore, we're, we're keeping the promise and that's important. You've got to keep the promise of whatever you sign people up for. What people do so poorly with their customer database is they they literally bait and switch them. They sign them up for one reason and then send them other things and this is rife in the internet marketing space. You might buy a product and the next thing you know, you're being pummeled with 50 offers to buy something else um, that are completely unrelated to whatever you bought. So I know several- And that breaks every rule and yeah. that's uh, goodbye trust. Sev- several people send me emails. Like I buy a software for my WordPress blog Next thing you know, I'm getting sent an email about why I should do local business marketing. I'm like, well, I didn't join this list for that. I joined this list to get product updates. I do want to know if the product doesn't work and if there's a fix. I want to be emailed about that. I don't want to be emailed to make money opportunity. I mean, I already already know how to make money and I've already got my own business. So when I email these people back and say, have you got a list just for the product updates? Cause I don't want all this other crap. And they, they don't, they're like, well, we'll send it to this list and we'll send you all the other stuff as well. And that could fall under the definition of spam if it's unwanted and if it's not in keeping with the purpose of that list. But I just simply unsubscribe from that. And if the product doesn't work anymore, I just delete it and I'll never ever buy from that person again. James, talk, talk to me then about we've sort of covered registration forms. Um, another virgin. virgin. <laughs> oh, there's a faux pas. Another version was what I was meant to say uh, of the registration form is I was thinking virgin blue guys. Yeah, okay. Um, another, <laughs> another version is the, um, is the light box, the pop up. Um, we use it on Freedom Ocean. Um, from what I'm seeing in the stats that come through, um, it's almost a 50-50 split between people signing up through the lightbox and and signing up through the registration form. Is that a general? Is that your experience with other sites that you have? And um, what do you think of lightboxes? Love lightboxes. They work way better than inline forms, which is the the description we would have for what's sitting in the page. So for a typical blog site where you have an inline form like that, the form on the side there, they might see something like 3 to 5% sign up because a lot of the traffic is repeat traffic. A light box will quite often bump that up to 10, 11, 12, 15, 18% uh, if you have a good one. And you can still put images and benefits and headlines and a compelling call to action in it. I saw this happen years and years ago and the guy that does it best is called Joe Mercola and that's where I believe A. Weber probably got the idea from because shortly after he showed it at an underground conference four, maybe, yeah, four years ago, uh, they rolled out that feature and I use it on many of my websites and we use it on Freedom Ocean as well and the light box does outperform the inline form. And I guess it all comes down. I mean, some people say, "Oh, they're really annoying," but you know, nicely presented with with good quality information and and a compelling offer, <laughs> annoyance turns to, "Oh yeah, I'll have a bit of that." Well, you you know, you're going to have to put yourself out there. I think correct. Annoying, 
Sure. If you want annoying, go to Mercola's health blog and you will not be able to read the content unless you join his list. Mm. And there's a few other sites that are like that and it is highly, highly effective. He has a database. I'm guessing it would be in the millions now. And so he'd be annoyingly wealthy. Yeah. Once <laughs> yeah, you join once, it probably stops showing. Hey, um, conscious of time, James, and we did say we'd cover off um, – quickly a couple of listener questions there's plenty more I'm sure we, we could talk about list building and in fact um, you know building that list of customers too once people are bought from you so should we save that for another episode <laughs> yeah I suppose <laughs> we should recap what we've talked about go for so, it right bottom line is it's a good idea to get customers details especially people who have bought something from you so that you can make them additional offers and increase your profit easily because emails are still very high converting compared to other traffic sources. Mm -hmm. Secondly, if you've got something nice that you can um, give value to your customer in exchange for an email address, by all means do that and start building the relationship. Thirdly, make sure you uh, Keep it within the relevance of why they've joined that list. You know, keep your promise. If you sign up for a particular thing, be clear about it. So on my newsletter, I actually say, you know, grab my free report and get updates whenever I release a new podcast. So now I've given permission to myself to email them updates for podcasts. If I didn't, I'll get complaints. Yep. And you can use a combination of inline forms or light boxes, whatever works for you, but test it. And that's based, that's the basic thing. And be aware that you're going to require different offers for different traffic sources. And I think we should definitely cover list segmentation and automation and rules and, uh, and migration of lists and stuff because that's really where all the money is made. It's once you've got the database, what do you do with it? That's where the money's made. Yes, so true, so true. Uh, the creation email marketing is a whole topic. The creation of a list uh, in itself is really we've just a it. means you to know, an we've, end. We're just about we're just about on that thousand uh, prospect list with our own freedom motion thing, which we started from scratch, and it's a perfect case study for quality list building. Correct. All right, mate. That is a that's a good summary. Now, a couple of couple of listener questions, which um, we will keep the answers relatively short to. But um, the first one comes from Cloda, and I met Cloda uh, recently uh, at a talk that I gave in uh, in Melbourne a couple of weeks ago. I, Cloda says uh, it is actually a question about Joomla. Uh, she says I have an internet marketing question, and after searching and searching, thought, hey, you're the fountain of all knowledge. Uh, you being Freedom Ocean, and probably you, James. I know we all love WordPress. However, I have been unable to convince one of my clients to move into WordPress, so I need a good Joomla person. And she goes on and asks whether we can recommend someone. Well, not really in terms of recommending a good Joomla person because we do love WordPress. So I'm going to flip that question a little bit and say, James, what is so damn good about WordPress? Well, it's used by... Uh, a huge portion of websites on the internet. Google loves it. It's easy to find people to work on it. It's uh, it's quite awesome to use. There's so many. It's just well supported. It's uh, you know there's big sites that use it as well. Uh, I think like the Wall Street Journal, for example. Wow. Or the New York Times. One of those uses WordPress, and I think Yahoo might even be 
basing some of their sites on it. But it's just a it, it's just a great solution and widely accepted and you know the way that it structures things works well. It is not a one size fits all solution though. If you have an e-commerce store or a forum or a directory listing, you probably won't be using WordPress, but it's just a good out of the box um, open source solution. And a big problem for uh, small businesses and uh, uh, I guess people like trying to put it, put their own websites together is they get sucked into custom solutions oh, that are yeah. impossible for anyone else to work on or they have some license or they can't take the code or whatever. You want to work off open source if you possibly can for your own uh, flexibility. So that's why, I mean, I set up an entire business just around custom WordPress development. And but there will be times where other solutions are good and Joomla, by all accounts, is a very powerful, robust solution as well, which is, I think, possibly even based on a derivative of the original WordPress. Yeah, I, I hear good things about Joomla too, except that it's a bit complicated to use. And for mine, uh, from the very start, when I started you know, wanting to interact with websites that I owned as opposed to handing that over to a web developer, um, WordPress is just so beautifully simple. And as I say to clients, you know, when you're in the back end of WordPress... You know, it, it's quite familiar because it looks a little bit like Microsoft Word in the sense that your toolbar is very similar and, you know, a lot of the actions that you perform are a bit like Microsoft Word. So there's that there's that wonderful familiarity. Um, and, you know, even outside of the toolbar uh, where you create your content, um, the dashboard of WordPress is beautifully simple too where, you know, you know whether to, where to create a page, you know where to create a post, um, the plugins are numerous. Um, it's just really user friendly. So maybe uh, what Clodagh needs to do is use some of that information and go back and convince them that WordPress is the way to go. That said, if as you say, if it's if, oh, if, I don't if know it's about an, that. well, if it might be an e-commerce site or it might be a um, a forum, as you say. So if they if they do the, need it, there's a couple of aspects to this. But firstly, is you got to decide if that's the right client for you. Uh, it, it, you know, in that great book built to sell, it'll say, you know, don't customize stuff. If you've got to sway outside of your normal product zone to deal with a customer, you're probably better off to sack the customer and say, hey, by all means use Joomla, we're just not the right people for you because we focus on WordPress and move on to the next WordPress customer because it's going to be a million times easier. That's my first bit of advice. And uh, so don't try and convince the customer to move to WordPress if they're dead set on Joomla. Just move to a different customer. <laughs> Too true. Going back to a previous episode, the power of no. It's so much easier. Hey, Have filters. Uh, all right. The next question is coming from another long-time listener, Heather Smith, who I know listens to both small business, big marketing, and freedom ocean. Um, Heather says, it's a question about outsourcing, James, and she says, she thanks us for our podcast, and she says, um, I've been out-tasking or outsourcing for some time now. One of the issues that I run into that I don't think you've touched on was... If, for example, she says, the person is creating a website for you, you need to hand over a lot of passwords. Um, I have been visiting, e.g., oh, she's got a lot of examples here. She's been visiting, for example, MailChimp, changing the password to the person I'm out tasking to, um, going back in, changing it, giving it, to, giving them the password, and then changing it back once the work has been done. Other than True Blue Trust, do you have any other suggestions? Yeah, well, it sort of comes back to just trusting, isn't it? I mean, have some have some 
filters in place that allow you to determine whether a person is trustworthy before you employ them. No different to off offline employment, is it? Yeah, I would say hire people that you trust, absolutely, and, and trust them. There are There's many ways you can find out if they're not doing the right thing and and they're extremely subtle too that they may or may not be aware of. But you can use tools like PassPack. It's so much easier and uh, our mate Steve-O put me onto this one. What's PassPack do? PassPack is you basically just load up all your passwords to that and then you give your outsourcer the access to a PassPack login so they can use that and then you can change the PassPack login if you no longer have that outsourcer. Right, Okay. And I think it may obfuscate. I don't use it because... What did not, you say? It may what? Obfuscate. That means hide. It might hide the passwords. Wow. Uh, that is, but, I can honestly say in my 44 years on this earth, I've <laughs> never heard that word. It's a code thing, I think. <laughs> where, uh, it's like cloaking. You can obfuscate links. Right. Okay. That's where I first saw it. I believe you. Now, I don't uh, use it because of a trust issue. I use it because it simplifies things so that my team leader can load all of our sites up to PassPack and then the team members can just cruise along to each site and it just fills out the passwords for them. Cool. So it's a time saver for us. I trust my team implicitly. I have the best team on the face of the planet that, you know, how do I know they're working on my stuff? Because they're still there when I'm Skyping at two in the morning. They're still asking me questions. Like they're, they're unbelievable. And, uh, and I've also met them face to face and they have the passwords for just about everything. And they, they, it slows you down. If you're too strict with your passwords and if you're too, overly cautious the best way for someone to rip you off is if you don't trust them they'll definitely detect that you don't trust them and now you're actually giving them almost justification to rip you off because yeah. they want to prove you right <laughs> yeah, yeah and 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 just to, just to close on that question the other thing too is you know start small so you know um well two parts to it actually increments of trust what's that Incremental trust. Incremental trust. And There's the only other- a few things you should never give your passwords to and, and um, I, I believe there's two things you shouldn't give up as the business owner. That's the checkbook and marketing strategy. If you keep those two things, you'll be under control and I'm, I've learned these lessons from a nine-figure-year business. Yeah, too true, mate. Uh, too true. Let's leave so it I'm at that. I'm the only one that has access to PayPal. And the marketing strategy. And I'm the only one who decides on the ultimate marketing strategy. That's not something you can delegate or give up because, you know, that it's your business. You take control of that. But my team have access to my autoresponder accounts, my shopping cart. They can see how much money we make. They have the hosting. Um, the only other one they don't have is the domain registrar because I prefer to do that myself. I, I really couldn't afford to lose a domain because uh, I have literally – I, I'd well, well and truly over a million dollars worth of domains and so that I would consider them like a prime asset and they don't need to be poking around in there. No. I've got an account manager for that. So in other words, my other outsourcer is already in the company who manages my domains. Uh, James, any calls to action? Anything, any, any last little tidbits you'd like to share before we sign off? Remember to play. Aha, have fun. Nice idea. That's what it's all about. That's a nice idea. People take it so seriously. In fact, uh, I think the next show we will do, 
you're going to be somewhere else in the world besides the cave, the spaceship, true? Yep. Okay. Where that will be, we don't know. Well, you wouldn't but- even believe it if I told you. <laughs> what are you doing, a virgin galactic uh, trip to the moon or something, eh? Well, it involves 10 plane flights, let's put it that way. Nice. All right. Well, uh, keep your powder dry, mate, and we'll, um, we'll, you can reveal your um, location on our next show. Until then, thanks for listening. See ya. Bye. Thanks for diving into the Freedom Ocean with James Schramko and Tim Reed. You've just come that little bit closer to living the life you choose. Please keep in mind that the ideas, opinions, and information shared in the show are those of the hosts and do not reflect those of their past employers. And as far as future employers go, well, they're both pretty much unemployable. (laughs) Tim, plane flights. It's a bit out of control.